Iowa's News Now Sports brings you black and gold glory. Your all-access pass to all things Hawkeyes. This is Eye on the Hawks. And we are starting with breaking news out of East Lansing. Mel Tucker officially now terminated by Michigan State University. You're seeing there the termination letter sent to Tucker today. Of course, Sparty visiting Iowa City this weekend. This was more or less a formality at this point, but according to a release from the university, the university terminated Tucker's contract for his admitted and undisputed behaviors which have brought public disrespect, contempt, and ridicule upon the university and constitute a material breach of his agreement and moral turpitude. So that is the end of the Mel Tucker era in East Lansing. They are moving on now from him as Iowa looks to move on from the Penn State loss and head into MSU week back at Kinnick Stadium. I mean, the season's not over yet. This isn't even close to the finished product. I mean, there's a reason why you play 12 games in a season. There's a reason why there's four quarters in a game. I mean, if we just shut it down right now based on what has already happened, I think that's just a just not a good mindset. What are your expectations for uh, the next eight games? It's a player bonus. And that starts on Saturday against Michigan State. Welcome to our first live preview edition of Eye on the Hawks. Mitch Vick, Owen Sebring, Mike Howell here to break everything down between the Hawkeyes and Spartans. Uh, real quick, before we do fully move forward, just your parting thoughts on a, a rough night in Happy Valley. Oh, we're still talking about the Penn State game? And um, I said I said Sunday we'd game? move on. I don't remember it. <laughs> uh, any, anything you want to put a bow on at all? Nowhere to go but up. I guess that's, uh, that's all we could about say from that game. That it's, I, you know, yeah. I think even though Penn State is a potential college football playoff team, there's still the offensive concerns are real. And if they don't get better, then it could be a longer season, even though the schedule is, is uh, quite, quite uh, weak. We'll see. So the 24-hour rule in full effect as it is after every game for Kirk Ferentz and company, win or lose. But really, the focus Sunday, watching that film and kind of sitting in the stink a little bit and then moving on and getting ready for Sparty. And that is uh, the mindset that we heard about talking to coach and players on Tuesday. Um, you know, losses tend to linger. And that was, you know, we took one. So, um, you know, you got, you got to move past it because what you can't do is let it let it impede what, what's going to happen this week. And, you know, clearly we need we need improvement in every area right now. We just all got to do a little bit better job, and that's uh, we've been in that situation before. I don't know if I'd say it's, it's easy to flush. Um, you know, win or lose, it, it, it can be, you know, a challenge at times, you know, to to kind of give yourself that 24 hours to soak it in. But, um, you know, especially during a loss, it's, it's almost good to just take that whole day and, and feel that sting, you know, from that loss. Um, you know, because, you know, it, it can give you extra motivation, you know, if you use the right way. Obviously, it's super tough to watch film like that. Um, when you get beat 31-0, it's, it's not fun to do. Um, but it's something that you need to do. So just being able to watch that and find the areas that you need to improve in, um, everybody needs to improve in areas. So I think that's very important. You just kind of, we have a 24-hour rule, you know, whether you win or you lose, um, you just kind of sitting on it. And that just kind of gets you fired up to go practice and, and go play the next game. It's never fun. Uh, it's not easy to put it behind you. It's easier said than done. Uh, but that at some point you got to do that so you aren't burning time on something that's already happened and, and wasting an opportunity maybe to get ready for this one. So they are moving on, and as tough as it maybe is for uh, the public as, and, and maybe even the media at times as we rewatch things and prep stuff for this week, we're still dipping our toes into the waters of Saturday, the murky, murky waters from Happy Valley. But that was the consensus that we heard from everybody there is just 
and I'm sure it's easier when you're in that building and you've circled the wagon, so to speak, to move on. But uh, boy, this is just one of those, and we've talked about just the national exposure, it being on CBS, another opportunity in front of a primetime audience on Saturday on NBC. But just this is this is one that's going to linger in minds even as everybody else kind of moves on, it feels like. I would be very encouraged if I was a Hawkeye fan about the the posture, the the air around the, the players yeah. that we saw yesterday when we were out there. Because honestly, if if I was out there just talking to those guys like we do every week, I would not have known that they just got shut out for the first time since 2000. It seemed like very much the same exact personalities that we've seen all season and in previous seasons, that those guys are just out there, they're having a good time. Jay Higgins and Joe Evans are joking around. I mean, they, they were just, you know, uh, you can tell that they really have taken that 24-hour rule to heart. Um, I'm sure they soaked in it, and um, Nico Ragaini said something to the effect of, you know, we let ourselves pout about that game for a day, and then we start moving on, and I think you can see that they they have moved on from that game and onward and upward. Mike's working on his light. It felt, felt so bad. <laughs> Looked over at that three shot and, <laughs> and trying to get that light to work. Yeah, for this light's minutes. malfunctioning. Uh, we we have an anonymous uh, Just guest like the today. Game. This oh, is no. like uh, <laughs> I like that you're in witness protection of this. <laughs> I don't want to talk my about it. My name's Mike State. H. I'm a Hawkeye fan. Um, it's a great mindset to have, though. I mean, they've mentioned it throughout the years. Don't let the winds get, too high, get you too high. Yeah. Don't let the lows get you too low. And, you know, if this is a 9-10 win football team, which a lot of us and a lot of fans think it could be, uh, maybe we don't think about this Penn State game, you know, at the end of the season. Very Alfred Hitchcock type Yeah, of this game. is, yeah. <laughs> what story are you going to tell us today, Look, sir? Looking very film noir in uh, the Eye on the Hawks podcast today. Well, uh, it feels like the team is going as Caden McNamara is going, at least from a, a mindset and mentality standpoint. We heard from so many of them uh, without even asking about him addressing the team after the loss and, and the message he delivered. We talked to, to Cade yesterday and, and Kirk as well just about where that motivation to be a, a mentor and head out of that mind, mindset and be a speech guy, where does that come from? And, and Kirk essentially saying, Cade said exactly what I was hoping to say and uh, just learning a little bit more about Cade's, Cade's demeanor through this. We've talked about seeing him seem to be so joyful getting to play again and all that, and, and we've seen him smile so much more after a lot of stoic interactions uh, during his first time. He he snapped back to that steely gaze a, a couple times yesterday mm -hmm. answering questions. So. Very defensive posture if you're reading body language. A lot of arms crossed in the presser yesterday. But uh, he, he was uh, pretty open just asking about, you know, how... Uh, where does this approach come from from him? Is it just being a quarterback or is it something more? So here's Kate on just his leadership approach and Kirk shedding a little light on that as well. I just get a feeling that something needs to be said. And usually I have a pretty good feeling as to what needs to be said and when. And um, I won't do it unless I've, ha I've earned that right to say something. And I think, you know, I'm never going to say anything to put anyone down or anything. Everything is focused on us getting better and you know, making sure we're all in the right place. The words that he spoke were pretty much you know, what I jotted down in terms of what I wanted to share with the team too. So yeah, I think we're all on the same page. I think we all know what we need to be doing and what we want to be doing. Now the trick is can we go out and do it and do it better week by week here. Those words you jotted down and wanted to say? Basically, just kind of why I started out here, just uh, at the start of the press conference. You know, you stay together and you work for it, and that's really uh, what it goes. And then, you know, I think he all also added, nobody wants to remember, you know, remember this feeling because you don't want to experience it again. 
I've talked to a few former Hawkeyes too, and we'll, we'll get into one of those conversations that you can listen to on the pod later this week. But that was kind of their, what they told me they remember from years ago with Kirk too, of just at, no matter if it's a one point loss or a 31 point loss, like, all right, we'll, we'll stew in it for a day and then you move on and you, you have to. I mean, again, like, you know, Kate off the top, just there's eight games left. You know, it feels like we've seen so much and you're a month in and, and everyone starts forming opinions, but boy, it is, it's still darn early. That's Big Ten game number one out of nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would like, and I, I think I, again, as a fan, um, I would be pleased with Kirk Ferentz as a head coach as much as there is a lot of conversations about Kirk and his future and what people want to see out of him in the future. Um, I think he does a great job mentally with these guys where he does you know allow them to stew in that loss for a day and get them to move on because we've seen that so many times in the past where you know last year they just got absolutely trucked by Ohio State on the road last year and they bounced back still made it to a bowl game last year we're within one win of making it to the Big Ten championship game Um, so no matter what happens as you say whether it's a one-point loss a 31-point shutout these guys are going to be ready to bounce back. Yeah, and uh, talking to people too, and, and we've mentioned it too, of just the momentum going so far sideways in Happy Valley, you know, that can so easily go the other way sometimes. And, you know, is Iowa 31 points worse than Penn State? Maybe not. Same thing, is Colorado as bad as they looked against Oregon? Mm-hmm. Probably not, but it's, you know, momentum's crazy, especially in football. And uh, it's a wild thing. Certainly, I don't think Michigan State is as bad as they've maybe the final score is shown against a great Washington Washington team and a great Maryland team, but that is who is coming to town here on Saturday. A Michigan State team that is two and two, and again those two losses coming back to back to the team that may be the best team in the Pac-12 right now. A great offense. I mean, there's a lot of good teams in the Pac-12. Yeah. A lot of great quarterbacks. Michael Penix, far removed from uh, what he was at, at Iowa in 2021 in that opener when he was with Indiana. He looked great against the Spartan defense, and then you go up against a Maryland team that just has bad luck and is playing in the Big Ten East. So. I feel bad for the Maryland team. They're, they're obviously the fourth-best team, but they could probably win the West this year if they were playing in it. Yeah, I mean, they, and they looked good against Michigan State. And, uh, again, they play. I think they go to Ohio State next week, and they host Michigan and Penn State. I think they're going to win one of the, the 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 East. Kind of in a weird way goes through College Park because Maryland, I think, is going to have a win sneak that one, decides sneak a win against one of them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a little bit far afield from our initial rundown of the show, but we had Elliot Clough on the show yeah. today for Iron Locks. It's going to air on Thursday night at what time this week? Six thirty. Six thirty. All yeah, right. No, no baseball on Fox target. this Thursday, <laughs> so it. we're we're uh, at the whim of a uh, of MLB on Fox. <laughs> yeah. Um. So Elliot was saying he he seems to be not much of a believer in in Maryland. Just oh really? Like, you know their their opponents have been a little bit you know of a lower caliber so far, and so he's like, man, you know, we'll see what happens to them once they get into more Big Ten tougher opponents. Michigan State, and I, I bring them up and um, talking about just their stats and everything. This is a one of those sneaky two and two teams. Again, you play two great offenses. Uh, which means you've got a battle-tested secondary. You've gone up against two great pass offenses there by two really, really good quarterbacks. Noah Kim's a, a – this kid's a good quarterback. I mean, you look at the numbers, too. You know, he's, the completion percentage isn't off the wall, but, you know, 900 yards passing. He just threw two picks uh, in that game against Maryland last week. But this is a kid who moves around the pocket, can extend plays a little bit. He's, he's a fun guy to watch on, on film. And uh, maybe a, a little bit like Aller in the sense of – he, even when he's moving his feet, it's not frantic. You know, he, he's looking downfield and making plays. Again, on the other side, uh, a guy who's extending the pocket and trying to force, not force, but looking for the downfield play a little more than Aller was. We talked about him, 
completing uh, less than five yards an attempt. He was just taking what was under in that zone sometimes. Noah's a kid that's maybe going to look downfield a little more. Maybe there's the opportunity to maybe catch up on that interception quota that we've uh, mm. uh, that some people have talked about why Iowa's not doesn't have as many interceptions as normal. He'll maybe there's not the opportunities uh, there downfield. Nate Carter's a kid that's really this kid's fun, and if you're an Iowa fan, maybe a, a little bit dangerous because he's a, a great weapon for Michigan State. They're running back there. Um, they kind of go as he goes. He's had a great season for them. Uh, one of the best running backs in the Big Ten on top of also having uh, some weapons on the outside. I think they've got five guys that have at least nine catches, and Nate Carter's one of them that has nine catches. Uh, tons of stuff there, a lot of opportunity for their offense to make some plays there, but also Again, uh, maybe some opportunity for this Iowa defense to, to maybe get some sacks as he's extending plays and, and, again, looking for interceptions if they can force him into some bad throws. Can you guys recall a lot of teams like this where Noah Kim, yeah, great numbers this year, but they have had a second quarterback who's come in, and he's played in every single game so far. A little bit. Uh, Hauser, what's his first name? I, I, I don't know. I was watching oh. the game, Maryland game. I'm pretty sure they had just come out because the game was in unreachable. Yeah, Bar- Barnett, there were questions about that, and he said Kim's the guy, so yeah. he'll be the okay. guy. I, I mean, I just don't know sometimes when you've got I a guy. I also believe um, Barnett said that they're going to, and maybe this is something they saw on the Iowa tape against you know Western Michigan um, and, and Penn State, is they want to run with the quarterback more, I think I heard. He can do that. Sure. Yeah. His, his yards, the, the yards aren't. If you remember there those two big stats, runs against, but again, he yeah. can move and he can tuck and run. But you see there, Nate Carter's stats, um, five yards a pop. And, and that's kind of what, uh, talking to Phil Parker today um, uh, on the Zoom call on the Wednesday coordinators, just talking about, you know, the explosive plays weren't there for Penn State. I think their longest play was 19 yards, but just it was the paper cuts, not the machete. And getting into those manageable third downs and then fourth downs that Penn State just kept going and just getting those little bit of yards. You got a running back that gets you five yards a pop. You know, all of a sudden, instead of second and eight, you got second and five. And that's that's one of those tough ones. And that'll be the big key for, for Iowa's getting off the field again after 97 plays in Happy Valley. Michigan State, obviously, such a legacy of great running backs, yeah. you know, with, with guys like Le'Veon Bell, uh, Kenneth Walker. Uh, Jeremy Langford doesn't Jeremy get talked Langford. about nearly enough. He was fantastic, <laughs> too, yeah. Uh, so this is going to be really an interesting test for these guys because, as I've, as I've preached, again, through four games, Iowa is still not giving up a rushing touchdown this year. Nate Carter comes in. He scored four rushing touchdowns a season, uh, getting close to 400 total yards. Uh, is that going to be the point where, where they break through and that uh, Iowa defensive line finally allows a touchdown, or are they going to swallow them up? We'll see. Uh, obviously, this is really our first big deep dive into a, an opponent trying to do a better job of that as we move forward with these, give you an idea of who's coming to town or who Iowa's going to go visit. But Jay Higgins and Nick Jackson, of course, boy, uh, all over the field against uh, Penn State out of necessity. Uh, Jay with 50 tackles already, but they know that this Michigan State offense, even if they weren't scoring a ton of points these last two games, both Spartan losses, they know the opportunity and the potential that that Spartan offense has. Good quarterback, uh, guy likes to leave the pocket, fast guy, so obviously uh, going to have a game plan for his speed and his ability to leave the park, pocket. Carter runs the ball hard. Um, I mean, he, you can tell he's a workhorse. Um, I don't know their, their leadership uh, leadership situation, but I'm sure he's he's a leader on the offense. You can just tell uh, he's always working hard. Um, and obviously they got a big O-line, so 
uh, just prepare for their weapons, knowing how they can uh, get those guys touches um, and disrespecting their tight ends as well. I mean, I definitely think that he's really mobile in the pocket, and then their running back, is he's dynamic. He makes some plays. They have a big tight end. They have a good receiving core. I mean, we're getting into that spot where it's Big Ten football. And Michigan State, they're historically, there's always been a good team, and they always will be a good team. So, I mean, uh, we're, we mean, we got we got some stuff to work on, and well, we know that we have to stop the run. We know we have to make plays on the ball in the pass game. So uh, they're a good football team. They, they do a lot of stuff uh, outside zone-wise, and uh, they're a good football team. And again, a, a program in Michigan State that, you know, that first game they played after Tucker was initially suspended was that Washington game. So you've got all the turmoil off the field, and here's Michael Penix, who I, I think – at this point, isn't he the odds-on favorite for the Heisman? Wow, is he? I think I think he's now that uh, yeah, Colorado and, has a loss. Yeah, he he would have to be. They're throwing up crazy numbers. I was numbers watching a little bit of that game nuts. against Cal. I think they played this past weekend. Yeah, yeah. That DeBoer offense that he's in now is just is is wild. So yeah, I mean that's that's what Michigan State's defense has seen, and again then going against Maryland uh, and and what they can do with the ball. So they've seen some stuff. Uh, same defensive coordinator as when. Cade and Eric played them in 2021. It's actually the defensive coordinator for Wyoming in 2017, going way back when uh, when Iowa opened against them. That was mm-hmm. Nate Stanley's first career start. And that took a little while for, for Iowa's offense to get going that day. I mean, it's six years ago, but we'll draw the parallels and make connections however we can. little fact checked. I just checked uh, BetMG. They have Cable, Caleb Williams and uh, Michael Penix tied for the yeah, best gotcha. odds to win, and then it's Quinn Ewers and Bo Nix. Yeah, I figured Caleb would be up there. He's been, he's been yeah. solid. Every, every <laughs> he's your, your defending champion, so yeah, he'd be there too. So back to Iowa's offense a little bit and just the super mega clickbaity, uh, out-of-context soundbite, but this is the one that everyone jumped on, on on Twitter and whatnot, so why not feed the beast a little bit? So Cade was asked a little bit about the lack of wide receiver production this year, I believe, 14 catches through four games for wideouts, 35 targets, um, continuous questions about Caleb Brown, despite six weeks ago, Kirk at Media Day saying, listen, he's a great prospect, but he's still just a prospect and going to say take some time. But Cade was asked about just the, the lack of production from the position. And uh, here's the sound that he or, uh, the soundbite that he came up with. You look through four games and 14 catches by the wide receivers, only 35 targets. Um, has that been more game plan driven, the way the ball just goes where it's open, or is there a way you can get them more involved in the game? I mean, I'm just a quarterback. I'm not the. I'm not calling the plays or doing any of that. That's not my decision. We're, I'm just going to run the play as fit, and I'm going to throw it to the open guy. Do you ever get to suggest plays? Oh uh, yeah, they're they're very open to. You know my voice, and I appreciate them about how much they care about my influence, and you know it makes me play more freely. Big deal or nah? nah. That here's a little stat from a Cover Three podcast. These are guys that are CBS um, Sports. I was received about 14 catches. You alluded to that Army's receivers who run that you know triple option. I think they run it out of the shotgun this year. Have 27, almost double, which is pretty damning. I mean. The context missing there is that they a lot of times run three, two tight ends more yeah, than sure. the normal team, but it's still kind of a shocking stat. I think a big thing, too, not that it would be closer to 27, but so much of Saturday is going to throw everything skewed. You know, he drops, uh, Kate has 14 pass attempts. I think he was hurried six times. He sacked three. I mean, there was so much stuff that was just off schedule to the point where he can't even get get to his first look, let alone like a second or third. You know, it was just such a 
a chaotic off schedule, everything going against you type thing that that's a game that at least early until you get into like maybe game six or seven is going to throw so many other stats just so out of whack. Um, again, not to the point where I wasn't going to catch up with 13 wide receiver catches in that game, but just one of those that, yeah, you, you maybe had a little bit of momentum come out of Western Michigan and then just you run into yeah. a brick wall and everything gets thrown. I mean, Iowa's defense, those numbers are going to be crazy. Like, again, do you think Iowa's defense is going to be giving up 31 points a game and all that? We you know we've talked about just the amount of plays they spent out there. It's, it, it's a game that as you flush, you almost have to keep the context as you look at the season stats of just, yeah, they had a, a really bad night in Happy Valley where things got sideways quick. Uh, Iowa tight ends this year, you know how many catches they have? 20. 25. Yeah, 25? Uh, oh, if you, I, ele- I, 11 for two, Luke. Yeah. yeah. If you count Hayden Large in there, I guess it's 25. Yeah, do not. Do not. He's a fullback. No, <laughs> he's, he's, he's a whatever you need him to be. Uh, yeah, I think Stilianos and... Uh, Estranga have two, two each. Apiece. That's who I was leaving out. I think. I think Luke. At least I was looking. At Luke's the got story. eleven. Eric's got ten. Something like that. Luke and Eric have ten, a, ten each. Yeah. It looks like. Yeah. Why um, do I know this? I don't know. If maybe you guys have the stats pull up. Do you have? Ha, do you know which Iowa receiver has the most catches this year? Yeah, it's, it's uh, Nico. Right, he has four. It's Nico has six. Six. All right. And then actually <laughs> tied for the lead, uh, I guess among receivers, running backs, Lashawn has six as well. Yeah, and he had so, what three or four against. Uh, against Western, something like that. The thing about when we're talking about the offensive philosophy, and one of our uh, viewers just commented in the comments about, and I think he brought it up on on Sunday, is why this offense can't make a a wrinkle and get more quick hitters slants. It seems like all the routes that you see him running are kind of downfield, which when you're having trouble on offense with the offensive line like this past um, Saturday, like you're not going to be able to get downfield 20 yards. So like um, I think a lot of offenses around the country do a lot more of that. The short passes, the hitches, the you know, just throw it out to the corner and let your receiver go one on one with a with a corner. You know, see if you can get four yards. Kind of an extension of the running game is what they say. Especially with, I think the tallest out of the top four receivers is probably Seth, right? And he's what like six even, six one, uh-huh. something like that. I know Jarrett Bowie was out there uh, quite a bit against Western. I'm not sure if he was uh, was out there a lot against hmm. Penn State, but I think he's a guy who's like six three. Six, yeah. He's he's got more height. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that was kind of the hope with Brody Brecht is that, um, mm-hmm. you know, who's now exclusively baseball. But I mean, he he was a tall wide receiver, and that was kind of your hope of, you know, Iowa doesn't always have the the tallest guys outside, but if you can get one, and that's you know lends itself to tight ends down the middle having the height uh, in the middle of the field. Uh, but that's yeah, one of those things too. It maybe benefit a little more to to run those. Sh- those shorter routes, and, and maybe there's an opportunity to do that uh, against Michigan State on Saturday. Lots it makes you think, too, just with the whole dis- the discussion about you know, offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz and, you know, whether he should be back next year or, or not. Um, I was reading a stat somewhere. I think Leistikow had it in, in the register. He said that the year Amir Smith-Marset, or looked it up, and Brandon Smith were there, targets to wide receivers and Iowa's offense was up to like 72%. It was which like a is, record, yeah. It was a record year of the program itself. Which like, is wild to think about when yeah. you Yeah, and that was under Brian Ferentz. McNutt and DJK and Colin Sandeman and Trey Strauss. And, I mean, you know, that's looked at as a pretty darn good group too. So obviously when the offense struggles and there's the debate online, whether it's Brian's fault, whether it's, you know, Cade's fault, blah, blah, blah. I think, you know, obviously it's everyone's fault who's working on the team. But I think the philosophy, it starts with, you know, the head coach and, um, he's kind of had the same offensive philosophy ever since he's been here, at least when you're watching it, not too many changes. So, you know, when we go place and blame on them, I don't think 
you can 100% pin it on just one thing and the, wrong with this right. offense. Right. This uh, might be another oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, as, as we've talked about O-line, I mean, it seems like that's where, honestly, it's, if you're just looking at Saturday, that's where sure. a lot of it stems from is just how, how overwhelmed the offense is. Yeah, there just wasn't a lot of time. I, again, I, I haven't seen Iowa tackles, you know, get bum-rushed. Yeah, I mean, that's, it, it's a tough look. Um, again, I was talking to a, another player, and we'll, we'll tease the podcast on Friday coming up in a bit, but talking today, um, shame on me and, and maybe a lot of other people for not thinking about it, but, you know, that – that leg that, that Cade's working off, that's his plant leg. Mm. And, and maybe that makes it a little tougher to, to get to those outside routes as he continues to heal up. I mean, you saw him on the, on the bootleg. Hey, bootlegs are back. That's great. Um, but, I mean, you saw he wasn't full speed by any, any sense. Uh, well, but, speaking of that play and, and the offensive line, that was supposed to be all in the flat. But yeah. the center got pushed back so far that all tripped over the lineman. And mm. you just don't see that uh, no, a lot. not at all. Yeah. And, again, I think that, that Penn State – defense is is super special and that that's one of those plays i think early that can really get their momentum going of like all right well we've knocked them off their base this early and then you just keep bringing it and bringing it and that yeah that line gets more tired I, and more tired i think if we do want to talk about you know just going back to the soundbite from Cade, and we want to talk about is this a big deal or is it not yeah. i think obviously most rational media and fans would understand like you know that's not what he was saying he wasn't trying to do a critique of brian uh, but if we do, you know, if you'll allow me to play devil's advocate to um, the the overreaction fan fan base side of things, I do have to think. I mean, what's the big reason why you know a quarterback would come and play college football at Iowa or any position anybody anywhere wants to come play college football is ideally wanting to get ready to play professional football. They want to improve their draft stock and play in the NFL. I do have to think through four games, Cade McNamara. And the wide receivers especially have to be frustrated with the amount of reps they're getting or lack thereof. And then and the K doesn't feel like I'm not putting very much tape together that would make me look like a NFL quality quarterback. Even though, you know, I think that he potentially could be an NFL caliber quarterback. There's not much evidence there through four games that would show it to a guy who's wanting to watch uh, tape if you're an NFL scout. Yeah, yeah and still, he says he's getting more healthy. He's not wearing the sleeve at, yeah. at pressers anymore. So, again, I've you know, I keep going back. He just missed so much time in the spring and then in the fall too. So he's still, he's still catching up and getting healthy. So again, I didn't even think about the the right leg being the the plant leg and how that can affect everything, um, not just scrambling, but just setting up and throwing. So we will see uh, how he continues to recover as he gets ready for a game again that he's he's played before the old rivalry game against Michigan State which statistically was both he and Eric All's best game at Michigan it was a loss there in 2021 in East Lansing but uh they lit it up obviously different offenses and everything Eric said it was a lot of I think he was involved in a lot of screen games too but tight end screens boy Eric he came to the right place they can probably roll those <laughs> out for you uh before we get into our, our picks and looking over uh, what's going on in the Big Ten West this week this was such a cool moment uh, during CBS's coverage of the game on Saturday. They bless ya. Excuse me, season, folks. Get those flu shots, by the way. Um, CBS took a little time to just go through the lineage of of Jay Higgins, who is actually Roy Higgins the fourth. His dad's Roy the third, so on and so forth. It was a cool little uh, legacy graphic that they kind of put up. So I. I Talked to Jay a little bit about his dad. He's a pastor, and um, he even said uh, before we got into this line of, of questioning on Tuesday of, boy, you know, when you're looking for positivity, just go to my dad's Twitter feed, and, you know, <laughs> he, he's a guy who's always going to be uplifting. But I just asked Jay about 
the decision to go by Jay and not Roy the Fourth, and just what he he knows about his family's legacy and and the family standard that he says he continues to uphold to this day. It's a fun little conversation. Yeah, I remember uh, when I got to middle school, they asked me, uh, like, you can nickname for a thing. Elementary was like your government name, and that was the only thing, but apparently middle school is like you can call yourself whatever. Um, and I just remember they called me Little Roy, um, and I, I always remember that. And my middle name's Jay Bass, so that's I just went by Jay because I was always around my dad. Um, but yeah, being being Roy Higgins the fourth uh, is big to me. Um, I mean, when I have my son one day, I know he'll be the fifth. Uh, it's just kind of one of those things where I just want to carry on the legacy. Um, and when it's literally your name, it's it's a little bit a little bit easier to do so. So I hope I just try to uphold, I guess, the family standard as well. <laughs> sure. Would the, uh, dad's a pastor. Would would grandpa and great grandpa do? Uh, that's so. My dad rides horses because his dad was big in the horses and stuff like that. Um, he he grew up in Kentucky as well, um, and then moved to Indianapolis for the factory jobs and all that stuff. Um, so that's how that's how my dad got to Indianapolis. But he definitely kept that uh, that that horse riding heritage in him. Are you going to see you riding a horse around the streets of Iowa City? Uh, I don't know if Coach Wallace uh, let that one happen. <laughs> when I was in. Um, I think sophomore year of high school, I think my dad was like, all right, it's like, let's get off the horse, buddy. <laughs> and ironically, Iowa will now try to get back on the horse. Uh, I didn't stack it that way, but yeah, look at that. Boy, yeah, two drink minimum here on Iowa Hawks. Uh, just it, such a cool thing to hear him remember his lineage and talk about how his kid's going to be Roy the Fifth. And just a reminder again of these these players, these 18 to 22 year olds, representing a lot more than themselves out there, representing their families and, and doing some really cool things. And we've heard so many awesome things about Jay Higgins beyond just 50 tackles through four games. Just yeah, he's such a fun guy to talk to. I'm curious now, as as that soundbite was up, Mike was telling us he's never ridden a horse before. What percentage <laughs> of the American population has been on a horse? I, I mean, I have been. It's not been. Fewer than 10 times, I suppose, I've been on a horse. How about you, Mitch? A handful. I said my, my grandma and grandpa down in Williamsburg on their, on their farm uh, had some, some ponies back in the day. I'm trying to think. Huh. One was uh, the most recent and the last one they had was, name was Jack Spot. And I can't remember the name of the, the first one because I was probably like 10, 11, 12 years old, something like that. But yeah, yeah a couple. And yeah, it was, you know, you'd just ride around a little bit around not the pen, but kind of a field area there, but wasn't any, you know, wasn't galloping, chasing down a train or yeah. anything like that, I've, like, I've like never seen the moving pictures. <laughs> <laughs> the train's coming right at the screen. Um, I've never been on a running horse. They've all, only ever walked, and I, I'm, I'm still a little bit afraid to ever try that, you know, be on one that's actually moving fast. Like, they're big beasts. Yeah. That, uh, it's a goal of mine, but I've, I've never really once tried to achieve that goal. Have you ever ridden anything? A bike. <laughs> You've but never not, sat astride no, a beast of burden? I don't know if this is a, a made-up memory or I was actually at a circus and I, would, I was on an elephant. They do that yeah, right with kids. A, I might have been like five, yo. Yeah, I remember doing that at the old Lion Energy Powerhouse five-season center back in the day. That, that was a thing, yeah. You'd get in line and, and hop on the elephant for a little bit. Or I, I think you can still do that. I'm sure, yeah. At like the state fair, like you can ride on the camels. I think they offer camel rides there, too. So there you go, Mike. Something to... <laughs> Good reason is any again, to visit again, the state fair. All in inspired August. by Jay Higgins or yeah. Roy Higgins the fourth. Yeah. You know he can't be on the horse anymore 
for safety reasons, it sounds like. <laughs> I can imagine that conversation of really going up to the Jay. The horses can't take it anymore. Hey, hey, <laughs> Jay, we need to talk about this. Um, super, super fun there. Before we get into our picks, just a reminder, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube Live, thanks so much for doing that. We do these. We're going to start doing these preview shows live on Wednesdays as well, on top of doing the, the recap shows live at noon on Sundays. But there's everything you can do there. The Iowa's News Now YouTube channels where you can watch everything. Uh, Iowa's News Now Instagram page as well. We'll have some some graphics put up. Mike does such a great job with those uh, graphics. And then, of course, Eye on the Hawks on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it. I think we're over like 130 followers on, on that yeah. platform. So that's yeah. pretty cool. Wow. Well, I'll also throw in an email address in yeah. the description of this video uh, after we're done here. If you want to send us some questions that we can ask on the pod, obviously you can always ask us questions in the comment section as well. Yeah, yeah. I love listener mailbag type of stuff on sure. podcasts, and I think those would uh, work super well in here. Just things that we don't talk about. You know, when we put these rundowns together, it's basically the three of us, or even largely Mike and Mitch, that are putting those together um, after Sundays or on Wednesdays. And so if, if listeners have things that they want us to discuss or have a question that we haven't thought about, we'd, we'd love to hear from I have people. a producer mail question for you two. Hmm, okay. It's one of the biggest questions lingering from the football weekend. Have we ridden a horse? No, it's uh, do you actually think uh, Travis, Kelsey, and Taylor Swift are dating? Or was it a publicity stunt? You know, that's how it starts, Mike. <laughs> I think this is going to feel a Hallmark Christmas movie at, at the end, you know. It becomes as, starts as a publicity thing, and then two people just find each other. Over under, do they last the football season? That's my lead-in to the picks. <laughs> do they make it to the bye? <laughs> is that what you're asking? <laughs> uh, it's, it's funny hearing from friends talking about how, who are Swifties, and are now emotionally invested in this and now listening to the Kelsey Brothers podcast and like had to sit through all this football stuff to get to hear them talking about it. Like, yep, that's, that's how it's going to go. I only asked so I can put it's... it in the description so we can get that Taylor Swift bump I, I think, <laughs> on the search engine. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I think that this is going to be the story of the year. Chiefs make it to the Super Bowl and Taylor is the Super Bowl halftime entertainment. They already announced no, that Usher, Usher was doing it. It's Usher, oh, man. This past weekend. Yeah, Kim Kardashian had a... She's you know, a guest. We were off the rails Guaranteed. here. We were, we were talking... <laughs> Usher? Is he like 55? Watch yeah. your Usher, tone. Man. Watch your tone, sir. <laughs> Give me a break, that, uh, Usher. That NPR Tiny Desk concert that he did, that was in the last year, right? I, on Usher did? Yeah. I Usher's didn't see that a, one. Usher's an icon, man. That, yeah. that, was, that was an all-time Tiny, tiny Desk uh do you guys genu genuinely care about Super Bowl halftime shows? I feel like that's definitely my time to tune out. I have not cared. I always about watch them <sighs> when they're great. I mean that that Prince halftime show from what that's 10, 15 years. That's an all time. Yeah, two thousand seven, I think, because he yeah. was playing in the rain at that Bears Super Bowl. I, I think even when they're not great, they're good memes. Like when the weekend was showing, <laughs> I was like yeah. walking through the it. weekend oh. lost in the. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was immediately like oh well this <laughs> left shark timeline. You remember left shark? Left shark, shark Katy Perry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so cool. Kason uh, and I were talking. Uh, the other night of just if Taylor, if the Chiefs make the Super Bowl and Taylor Swift was the halftime show, like it's five grand to get in that door, right? I mean, the, the price would be insane as if it's not already for the Super Bowl, as if it's not already for, it's you know, to bring in two, Taylor Swift concert two, as well. Oh, we got fight. comments saying they, they tuned out after our, our Taylor Swift. Uh, really? Air Trigger, you're, you're the guy holding this. You're our glue, our glue comment. Listen, I don't give a rip about Taylor Swift, to be quite frank, but you know, as long I'm as we're there, bringing it up, and on I can podcast. watch the engagement just drop. Every from every, that. every time uh, Chelsea Brown is a huge Taylor Swift fan, and so anytime we're at a sporting event and a Swift song comes on, I'm like, wait, what's this? And she's like, oh, this is Taylor. You you know this song? I'm like, I promise you, I don't know this song. She keeps telling me songs that I know, and I'm like, I do not, Chelsea. I don't know uh, this song. Knew you were trouble when you walked in. I want to see you bring. Uh, I don't know what my era is or anything. It just she writes good songs. Seems to make people happy, mm -hmm. maybe to an extreme extent sometimes. 
not maybe, hurting anyone as far maybe as Sufjan Stevens any day of the week. There you go. <laughs> Again, I aged myself asking uh, asking Logan Jones parallels between Cade's Cade's speech to the locker room and bringing up Tim Tebow's 2008 address after Ole Miss, and he gave me a look that made me <laughs> go Matt Damon and Savior Private Ryan age 50 years in three seconds. Like, Oh, that was 15 years ago. You were you were five, probably. Oh, just brutal. And then um, Joe Evans pointed out his first Hawkeye game ever was uh, Michigan State in 2007, where he was like six or seven years old. I oh, wow. Like, I was I was 21. Um, <laughs> just we're not that young, as uh, I continue to remind myself day in and day out. Speaking of things that are going to take uh, years off my. Life. I'm 10 and 15 picking. Speaking of not aging well, yeah. I was hoping that you were going to go that route. I mean, if you take out that first week where I went 0 and 6, I'm really turning this thing around. 0 and 13 and 12, and Mike leading the way at 14 and 11. We, we start this week in the Big Ten West with our picks. Northwestern coming off an incredible comeback win over Minnesota. Your reward, the 4 and 0 Penn State Nittany Lions, who really looked good against Iowa. Momentum or whatever it may else be, they looked fantastic. A 27-point favorite in Evanston. Don't like the line. 27 seems like a lot to me. I am going to take Northwestern in this game. They've looked so much grittier, tougher. Uh, Lou Holtz loves the toughness of Northwestern, I have to assume. Uh, the, the world against Indiana, as uh, Coach Day might say. No, I, I like Northwestern in this game. I think that they'll uh, keep it a little bit closer, but Penn State will probably win by you know 20, 21, something like that. I'm going to go Northwestern as well. I, I know they just covered that, that would-be spread against Iowa, but I think the atmosphere and and the revenge factor from 2021 was more to do with that. I think they probably don't care much about it. It's on the road. Probably going to be like an 11 a.m. kick. I actually don't know what time it's on. It but, is 11 a.m. Um, I'll go Northwestern covering, but it's not going to be close. Yeah, uh, I tried to tell you guys in August, like this this wasn't going to be in a 1-11 Northwestern team. Ben Bryant, I he, he got it out of performance uh, on Saturday, too. He's a little banged up. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't think – I'm not taking the Wildcats to win by any measure, but, you know, Penn State coming off that huge high. You know, you talked about it, the environment and everything. Going into Northwestern, a team that's now showing, like, okay, like you're, you're going to have to give us your, your best shot because we'll, we'll keep, keep fighting for it. So I'll take Wildcats plus the 27. Speaking of the team, they beat – in that comeback last week, Minnesota heads back home to host Louisiana. Gophers are an 11-point favorite. Darius Taylor, the stud running back, the true freshman out of Wald Lake Western in Michigan, three-time defending Big Ten Freshman of the Week, second-leading rusher in the country, went out late in that Northwestern game, so he's hurt. Don't know his status. P.J. Fleck didn't uh, provide an update earlier this week, so Gophers go in to host the Raging Cajuns as an 11-point favorite, maybe without uh, arguably the best player on their team this year. Uh, I'm pretty low on Minnesota at this point, honestly. I'm going to take Louisiana. Uh, wonder what this is like. They've got six receivers right now with over 100 receiving yards already this season. That's possible. <laughs> um, I wonder the what of quotas that they cut must off? it be like. So, yeah, I think uh, Louisiana can keep this close, if not even beat Minnesota. Um, yeah, 11 seems, again, like a little bit wide of a spread for a team like the Cajuns. I'm going to go Minnesota because I think they – are going to be mad about last week and, and come out and cover that spread. Yeah, I think the same. I'll, I'll take Minnesota minus 11. Either Bryce Williams or Sean Tyler, who I don't think even played against Northwestern, the, the WMU transfer. Uh, I, I think he and Bryce Williams, again, a guy who's backed up every great running back there in Minnesota for the last half decade. I, I think they can 
hopefully, I don't think it'll be a, a, a high-scoring affair, um, and that's why I, th- I think Minnesota can win this thing. Like, they, it might even be a push, like 21-10, something mm-hmm. like that. Michigan and their undefeated record heads to Nebraska, 17-point favorites in Lincoln. Hmm. This is an interesting one. You know, Michigan's really not played anyone. Uh, I think Rutgers is a decent team, and they Rutgers, I they're sneaky, man. So I should retract what I just <laughs> said. But um, you said what you said. First road game, Nebraska. You know, I think this game is going to be closer. I'm going to take the points with Nebraska. I, I I think it's like one of those Penn State games where it's not really all that close. There's no chance for Nebraska to win, but I think they do keep it within 17. There were so many years when Scott Frost was at Nebraska where they were just like, I mean, if you were a Nebraska fan, they were just on the cusp of just getting right over the hump against so many good teams. They just couldn't, again, I mean, it was like seven-point game after seven-point game, and Matt Rule might be in that same area right now where I think that playing at home in Lincoln on a Saturday afternoon, I think that they could keep it closer than 17 points, so I, I think I'll take Nebraska too. I'll take him to cover as well, and I am going to ask Mike to switch the K and the S there in Nebraska. And spell check didn't do us any. Oh, wow. Yeah, boy, oh, boy. Wait, Nebraska. Wait. No, it's right. Yeah, yeah, it was right. Oh, right here. Okay. Yeah. Oh. We started out bad. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm, yeah my bad. So, uh, because of that slight, I believe the Huskers will, uh, will <laughs> motivated by a lack of spelling and a power in, a, in an Excel spreadsheet. Illinois at Purdue, two teams that, boy, you'd, they feel better than than what they've shown, at least record-wise so far. That's a pick them in West Lafayette. Uh, I'm going to go Purdue, I think, maybe just because they are the hotel. I like Luke Altmeyer a lot for the Illini. Um, he's turned it over quite a bit. He's a good quarterback, but I also like Hudson Card. I really like what Tyrone Tracy's done for the Boilers this year. He's, he's yeah, good really turned into a nice piece for them, and it's great to see, uh, uh, again, <laughs> another Iowa wide receiver go somewhere else and have success. <laughs> I think he's a little more running back for them. Mm-hmm. but um, yep. Cool to see, so I'll take Purdue at home. Gosh, you're, you're right. I kind of lost track of Tyrone Tracy. But yeah, four rushing touchdowns yeah, this season already. Great. Man, good for Hard him. To see. Um, this is a really tough one. Um, uh, yeah, Mike, why don't you go next? I'll go last. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, and, and again, this is the second week in a row after I said I'm done picking Illinois. Mm-hmm. I just think it's Illinois is a better football team. It's tough. And Purdue, I think Purdue's going to be, you know, near the bottom of the West, probably second when, it all, when it's all said and done. So I'm going Illinois on the road. Uh, I'll take Purdue. Um, Hudson Card already over 1,000 passing yards this season. Yeah, that, that offense cooks. Yeah. I mean, and, and Illinois does too, just a, a few too many turnovers Home there. game for Purdue, I guess I'll give the advantage. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the deciding factor there for me. Michigan State coming to Iowa. This spread started out, I think, plus 5.5, right, and then just jumped crazy right away to 11.5. Mm-hmm. It is now 12.5. I don't know what to make of that, but what do you guys think as the Spartans visit Iowa under the lights on NBC? Is, is, is the Mel Tucker thing, is that why? or what? what I mean, he hasn't been on so the much? sideline for two weeks. Yeah. I don't know why I'd jump another touchdown on, unless they know something about, if Vegas knows something about. I think this is one of those teams, when you look across college football, that I don't think any team actually does quit, but they're like on the, you know, cliche quit watch with just with the administration. You know, they came to play for Mel Tucker. He's out. Uh, nothing they really did. Um, it's a program that after two years ago was their really good season with Kenneth Walker, right? And then last year they kind of fell flat. Um, it's just one of those ones where they're waiting to see who the next coach will be. You know, I saw an article estimating who, who would be the next head football coach. I just think there's a lot of distractions and coming to their first um, you know, true road game in the Big Ten. Um, I think Iowa covers. And after what we saw last Saturday, I'm kind of shocked I'm even picking this. But I do think it's more 
on the uh, the opponent, and I don't think Michigan State's going to come out here with any real fire. Really, uh, I think part of this might be, and I there's a, a paywall for the Lansing State Journal. I've seen a few a few posts about a decision for ten Michigan State football players on whether or not they can enter the portal. I don't know if there's like a fall deadline for them, and there are some that were maybe like on the cusp or, or what that. But I think maybe that factors into how much that spread jumped. If sure. now they're they could be missing out on players, so we'll see there. Uh, I'm going to take I'm going to take Iowa to cover. Yeah, e- even though it could easily again be a, a 24-10 game, uh, I think this is a statement game for the defense. I think they find ways to get off the field. I think they find ways to get some sacks and get some ints some again. Turnovers, yeah. No- Noah Kim again likes to look downfield. I think that's that was what really I'm not going to say saved Penn State, but Aller was really disciplined to not. Not yeah. trying to make anything happen. Again, he didn't have the, the biggest eye-popping numbers, only thrown for 166 yards on 25 completions, but he was super, super disciplined. I'm not saying Noah Kim's not disciplined, but I, I think Iowa's been right there close to sacks. We talked about the pressures that Craig and, and Evans have brought. I think this could be maybe not a whole big waterfall in the dam breaking, so to speak, for Iowa getting those, those big stats that they've been missing, but I think there's a lot of opportunities there. I think I think they could reverse it and, and throw a shot out uh, against Michigan State on Saturday. It's going to be tough. Again, Nate Carter's a great player too, but um, it seems like an opportunity that they could maybe flex a little bit and yeah. swing things the other way. Just being, a, I mean, still kind of a believer in Cade McNamara. Mm-hmm. I mean, they talk so much about his speech that he gave, and you made the allusion to Tebow. I don't know if I think that I was going to win out the rest of the way and make it to the national championship game like the Gators <laughs> did that year. Uh, but I think that they w- still potentially could like look like a very different team after that Penn State game, and they could really rally the troops after that one. And um, So I think that they will come out, again, night game at Kinnick. Those are always Special. dangerous for an opponent. Um, I think that they'll, yeah, they'll cover that too. That was kind of the consensus, just asking guys of, you know, you, you go into a tough environment like that in Happy Valley, it almost feels, you know, that this is almost what's needed, maybe from a fan base perspective, at least. It's just okay, let's go have our own own night game. And <laughs> I, I don't think it's been officially confirmed yet, but it kind of looked like in the uh, in the game announcement on Sunday that it might be the all black uniforms again, keeping the black pants uh, and throwing those in. Those, that's always a a fun little combo for the Hawkeyes. And if you you dress good, hopefully you play good. I know that was the hope in Happy Valley. You bring it back home, maybe that makes a little bit of a difference. Final thoughts before we wrap things up here. Uh, boy, I, I, I am looking forward to this one. I mean, sure. uh, if I'll, if I could wax philosophical for a moment before sure. we wrap it up, um, one of the fun things I've really enjoyed about being at all of the Iowa home games, at least this year so far is like every Iowa game feels like a story or kind of like a piece of chapter a of a book history book. Yeah. Yes. Um, I don't get, you know, I, I was a UNI grad and went to tons of games for a lot of years. Did, don't get that feeling quite at UNI. Even covering Iowa State a lot last year, don't quite get that same feeling. An Iowa State fan, I'm sure, would say differently. But uh, the the history, the the brick facades in Kinnick Stadium or something just feels like, you know, you guys as big Hawkeye fans have been talking, you know, talking about, oh, yeah, I remember when 06 when they played, <laughs> you know, Wisconsin and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, totally. Um, but, yeah, you just feel like you're a little bit part of the story when you get a chance to be there, be on the sideline and see these different chapters unfold each week. I had to explain to Blake from CBS4 in the Quad Cities uh, yesterday. He said something, boy, man, you just know so much about this stuff off the top of your head. I'm like, 37, dude, I've just seen too much of it. Like, I just can't shake the memories of, of what I've seen, but that's been fun. Uh, so, again, we're going to have Eye on the Hawks, the TV show on uh, 
Thursday. Yep, 6.30 Thursday. 6.30 Thursday. Of course, that uh, podcast version will be upstreaming as well. Uh, Our Thanks to everybody who tuned in for the Daniel Murray uh, one-on-one interview going into Penn State last week. That was super fun to to drop that Friday episode, just talking to him about making that kick, um, how he asked for it on the right hash mark or the or the left hash mark or the middle of the field, and it ended up being right hash mark, and he still made it. And <laughs> hearing what he's up to uh, coming up on this Friday's episode, we just that was such a cool thing. So he goes, okay, let's try to do a one-on-one uh, discussion regarding the opponent of the week every Friday. The Michigan State game that doesn't get talked about a lot for whatever reason, because, I mean, you had, again, 07 was a, a double overtime win where Drew Gardner's wrapping up uh, and, and sealing that win at Kinnick for the Hawkeyes. Sean Green gets stopped in 08 on a fourth down, and probably the last time he got stopped for a loss in that 08 season and uh, lost to East Lansing, and then you got seven, got six in 2009. 2010, Michigan State comes in 8-0, ranked fifth in the country, and I was up 30 to Kirk Cousins led. It, Kirk yep. Cousins was... was um, and did not have a great game. No. Um, he, he would probably admit as much. So I wanted to talk to Ricky Stanzi about that game. He gets asked all the time, I'm sure, about seven got six and that fish, finish in East Lansing. And it seemed apropos after just such a everything goes wrong in Happy Valley. Everything went right at Kinnick somehow 13 years ago in October against Michigan State. So it was fun to get his perspective on just the momentum of games like that. Michigan State was not in a 37-6 loss to Iowa, not 31 points worse than Iowa that year, certainly in an up-and-down season for the Hawkeyes there, too. Uh, so just talk about when you've got everything going right, what that can be like compared to when everything's going wrong. Uh, the Tyler Sash to Micah Hyde pitch interception, what a wild play that was. We talked about that. And then he gives a little insight to just what he's he's seen from his perspective of, of the offense. And again, talking about Cade and what that quad injury can do to just – him trying to throw the football, let alone trying to roll out in the pocket and things like that and, and run bootlegs. So awesome conversation with Ricky right before we, we started this. So always good to talk shop and talk ball with him. And, of course, uh, the folks seem to like Ricky Stanzi. They still seem to like – I didn't even ask him about being the being the pregame video guy this okay. year. I should have. Cause yeah, yeah sure. great video. He was, I, he was the quarterback when I was in college. My, you know, yeah. obviously I think it was Jake that started, Jake Christensen. But that was my freshman year in 08 when he started. And then in 09 and, and 10. So – Good memories watching Rick throw some yeah. Rick sixes and come back, you know. He, he, he <laughs> offhandedly mentioned that too and, and asking uh, Kirk about him in the, before the opener when it was announced that he was the, the pregame video guy. Just Even Kirk remembered, like, yeah, he kind of had to throw an interception to maybe feel a little <laughs> more settled. It's, it's Willie Beeman in any, any given Sunday having to puke. That was the, the parallel I already drew. It was like, okay, once Ricky throws a pick six, like we're, we're ready to go. We <laughs> threw it in the Orange Bowl and everything worked out all yeah. right. Um, so, yeah, that episode will be dropping on Friday. Uh, again, so much fun always talking to Rick uh, about ball or life or whatever it may be. So thanks to everybody for tuning in. Again, there's all the ways you can follow and engage with Eye on the Hawks. We'll do that recap podcast coming up on Sunday at noon. Late night at Kinnick, but it'll be super fun. First night game of 2023, so we'll uh, we'll have a good time. 